Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. In stereo. Today, today we have our today. <laughs> I, I stereoed myself. Yeah. We've our very own Eric Quinlan, but I always forget that that's his name, and he's lovingly called Stack. Yeah, IX. whoever knew he was called Eric. Hey, hey. Everybody calls him Stack. Yeah, well, it seemed I think someone, maybe his family called him Eric. He's <laughs> a senior software development engineer in test at IEX. Welcome, Stack. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for hey, joining can us. I, can I ask you guys a yeah. question? Oh, here we no, go. No, that's completely verboten. No, I, no, like, no I like it. Way. I like so it. I, I actually right. wanted okay. to ask. John goes yeah. first. No. Do do boxes and lines listeners have a moniker, like a, a name? Do you have like, you know, hello out there, boxers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. interesting. I don't we, know. We've yeah. never thought about it. Well, we have a guy, one of us. The guy over there who does a shit Irish accent. So could that be uh, I guess. the equivalent of our moniker? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Hello, boxers. Stay thirsty, Bo- my friends. <laughs> we, need to <laughs> we need to figure out how to way to monetize this fucking thing anyway. Yeah. yeah if any of your boxers out there have an idea <laughs> for how we monetize this, uh, if you haven't turned it off so far, uh, right. please see please DM us. That means yeah. direct. So message. anyway, so we're gonna continue yes. to call you stack because that's what we're used to. So you wanna uh, fill us in on kind of how that came about, that name? So when I just started my career in finance uh, ages and ages ago, I uh, I worked at a firm and they had an official policy that everyone had to have a nickname and everyone had to call everyone else by their nickname. Really? What firm hmm. was this? So this this was uh, Vector Partners. It was, it was 2002. Uh, I actually had to call my boss the chicken. <laughs> Wow. And this Are is, you sure this was a job? This, or is this, this an is, extension? It sounds like my senior year in college in the basement. Uh, and, the chicken. And we, we had a, a number of characters there. You know, we had to call people, hey, Waffle, I need a, uh, hey, Parrot, I need, you know. Were, were they all like uh, uh, birds? No, like, like these, these were all what, what is it called? An aviary or something? Yeah, yeah. I look to you for fancy words. Mm. Birdhouse? Mm-hmm. Uh, where did Stack come from? So uh, <laughs> I didn't know much about trading at the time. So I used to go out onto the trading floor and say, what is a margin account? Why, why is this short sale and this one's long? And I used to just walk out onto the trading floor and blurt out questions at them. And I scared the crap out of them. So they're like, oh, you're like the Slee Stack monsters in the land of the lost. And Slee Stack was the first nickname that they gave me that stuck. Uh, and Slee Stack is just too long to say. So just got short to stack. Wow. There you to, go. To be honest, I had no idea. I didn't either. Yeah. We learned something. It's nice. It's a I, learning experience. It's a learning experience. Too. That's what we do here. The, the funny thing do. was when I got the nickname, I actually had to look up what the Slee Stack monsters were. Yeah. Like, I don't know I, what it is either, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> they're, they're big green bug-eyed monsters. And if you want my good quality trivia, you know, it was from a, from an old sci-fi movie and when they went, or TV series, and when they went to hire people for acting as the Slee Stack monsters, they hired professional basketball players in the off season because they were tall. They needed big giants. They needed giants. Jesus. 
How in the wow. name of God did you end up coming to IEX? A God, and what, and, exactly. And did your resume at the time say Eric Quinlan? It, uh, truth be told, I didn't have a resume. Like, totally didn't have a resume. Yeah, you are one of the early employees so, here. So, like, um, I, I happened to be walking down the street, and one of the IEX co-founders, John Schwal, I ran into him on the street, and he said, oh, uh, Stack, you know, it's good to see you. Um, you know, we worked together in, in a previous job. And he said, come by and we'll have coffee. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I gave him a call in a couple of days. And he said, oh, I can't make it out for coffee. Can you come into the office and, and we'll have coffee here? And then I came into the office and he sat me down with a bunch of people in the company. He's like, you're going to interview Stack. <laughs> <laughs> Like, we, that's kind of how we go. did recruit people back in the day. Well, and you know, never left. I actually did have a resume. It was pretty long because I'd done a variety of different things, but it's obvious that Ronan never read it because every time I mention a previous job, it's always news to him. This is no, the segment of the podcast no where John idea reminds us he, of all acronym jobs. Well, no, before. but I've just, you know, I've done a fair uh, amount before. This I've is about stack. Jobs. This is not about you. Okay, fine. Let's move on then. Selfish bastard. Okay, so John basically cornered you with a bunch of people for an interview. But if, it would <laughs> yeah. have been like annoying if I didn't know John and understand that that's exactly what he was doing when he invited me out for coffee in the mm -hmm. first place. So you joined uh, earlier. You were here in like 2013 or 2012? 2013. Wow, that's even yeah. before me. Uh, so yeah. I had a job working on the sell side. Uh, I worked for a big sell side bank. I worked on a program desk. So our big day in the program desk was Russell Rebalance. Uh, so Russell Rebalance 2013, I got through the day. I had you know, done all of the hard work of the day. And at the end of it, I said, okay, guys, I quit. <laughs> that was so, to come like, here. I went around yeah. the, at the end of the day, you know, they were all kind of congratulating each other. They were going out for drinks and I, I stopped by all the drinks and I said, Hey, uh, good to see you guys. We did good today. By the way, I quit. Nice. Yeah, boy, I, do we need to worry that you're going to do something, uh, similarly, uh, quixotic? Yes. No, like, Sounds quixotic. Said quixotic. I that was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, right. it was. Quixotic Avery. It was me actually trying to do the right thing by them. I did work there for a good long time. I did have a lot of good relationships there. So quitting before the big day would have been, you know, interrupting flow. So I not did the right good. Thing. Yeah, not good. So that gets to, you know, QA um, and what you do. So I kind of want to ask, uh, even though I know, but I want to ask for the listeners, like, what is QA? How did you get into it? Why is it important? Because then we can go back to... Your early days here. Yeah, and what does it stand for? It stands for quality assurance. Thank you. Thank Did you. Know, you. Did you really not know that? No, I knew it, but oh. I mean, you know, I don't assume that every one of our friggin' listeners oh, knows what it is. you're insulting the boxers now. No, I'm not assaulting any boxers or the liners. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Are you a boxer or a liner? <laughs> <laughs> so on the sales side, I actually did like software development. A lot of the guys, you know, John Schwal and several others, knew me from then. And they're like, okay, if we could get a software developer in here to test our system and make sure that it works right, we would, you know, we would have a better system. We would have a better chance of success. So certainly like that's a lot of, of why they picked me in the first place. Did people not test stuff before they launched it in the past or was this the advent of QA or? No, like QA has been around for, for a really, you know. Or were QA people not actually developers? So the, 
think of it this way. There's like three tiers, if you will, of QA people. There's QA people, you know, people who do manual testing. I enter these orders. I do these things. I click these buttons. Uh, and they make sure that things work right. I turn on the TV. Yes, I can see the, the, the test pattern. There's what I do, which is software development engineer for test, which means I write software to test things. Uh, I build testing tools and that type of thing. And then there's tier three, which is the weirdos, the formal verification engineers. Uh, these are people who run through every hu human and inhuman possibility of how things can actually fail and try them all. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm in the, that middle tier of software development engineers for test. Does your software not do number three? Um, we try to do number three, of course, but you know, think about how complex uh, an exchange can be. Uh, there is a lot of different ways that, that things can work, a lot of different race conditions that can occur. It's kind of, you know, it would be insane to try everything. Yep. So explain what you mean by race condition. Well, I have, you know, he has no three, idea. <laughs> I, I, have I, three I, again, I'm that, for the benefit of listeners. <laughs> I, I have three different orders that are coming in at all the same time, roughly the same time. I have 10 different pieces of market data that are seeming to converge on the system at the same time. Is there a possibility that there can be some sort of adverse interaction between how those orders get sequenced, the order of operations that actually occur that can break things? Um, so those are the things that, you know, software engineers or, or test engineers actually have to look out for. And breaking things on an exchange could be a pretty serious um, thing, too. So there's a lot of, uh, I would just imagine, with all of the complicated technology and all of the software development, that this is obviously a really critical component for making sure that an exchange can continue to run smoothly because we're adding things all the time. We're making changes sure. like virtually constantly, I would assume. Yeah. And, and you, whenever you do that, you actually have to have that mindset that yes, the developers are doing the right thing. They're doing a good job, but uh, what is the provere no dovere or Whatever the case may be, See, oh, there you trust go. would verify. Yeah, uh, I knew that too. No, for yeah, right. John, when we're not even recording podcasts, says for the benefit of listeners, when he asks stupid questions, <laughs> <laughs> he's just practicing for the for the podcast booth. Well, good That's on you. Yeah, yeah. Domade no provide. Anyway, so you know, back back to the early days at IX because I, I can remember. Um, Pre-launch, pre-launch. We we obviously launched as an ATS, as a dark pool, John, um, <laughs> back in 2013, and coming close to the launch. Um, you know, Stack had written software to do all these battery of tests. So there's a couple. One thing I, I like, I was kind of blown away. Even at that time, how many tests were there? There was there was so I astronomical I, number. Yeah, the my first take on it was was I was going to try to make something that was as as close to a formal verification as possible. So I, I built this big script that ran some million, some, it, it was millions and millions of yes. different scenarios. And it was, you know, it was, took a very long time and it was catastrophically terrible. I've built a lot of cooler things since that. But at the time we heard like millions of tests, right? So we were having a, I guess a, a team meeting because we were all in one room at that time and there was about 30 of us and we all stand around and we, we, we talk about Okay, we're going to launch in a couple of weeks, and Stack's now going to talk to us about all the testing he's done. He's run the system that we've built through 
Millions, I millions of tests. And, you remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember this. And and Ronan says, you know, says to me, "Is this going to work? You know, are we going to launch on time?" And I said, and you know, Ronan tells this story a little bit different, but here nor there. I said it's going to work, but buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> and, and I use those exact words. And I said, if things go sideways, if little things don't work, you know, we we have a lot of things built, but there's only so many kind of redundant systems that we have that we probably should have on place. So I heard buckle up, Buttercup as we're fucked, run for the hills. And I'm like, Stack, how could you say that in front of the entire company? No, this is, this is just me understanding how complex systems fail, that I want to make sure that we have as many tools in place to be able to recover from whatever kind of scenario might actually happen. Well, and thank God that thank we've God got for you, you Thank God for you, too. So before we go on about like uh, QA as you know you said you you started you were one of our early employees what what what's it what was it like in the early days and what's it like reflecting on them now that we're 10 years old well uh, nine of which you were here well <laughs> a lot of it was you know in the very early days you got to wear lots of hats you know i i would go and i'd i'd make sure that all the oats reports were filed every day and and do all of the little things you know you everyone kind of kind of cover all of the bases it was crazy like i was helping install shit in the data center cabling and everything yeah, and no, everybody like, was doing I things totally, that weren't in their job <laughs> like i totally remember that and and like the network engineers were all like yeah you actually put things in place i had to recable some of the things <laughs> And you know, uh, well, was, they didn't tell me that at the time. <laughs> but like, you know, those were the things that we had to do to get started because we were, you know, we only had so many human resources. And there was a lot of fun in that. You got to build a lot of your own mechanisms to make that work. I'll, I'll give you my favorite example. It was my job at the end of the day to make sure that the OATS reports got filed. This was a regulatory report that we file at the Stands end of the for day. Stands for Order Audit Trail System. Yes. I actually wrote the OATS rules when I was at the end and of Another the acronym day. that was in his resume <laughs> that I yeah. must have ignored. So, I don't know. Oh, sorry. I didn't even. Yeah. 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 Well, well, did not it look actually it happens to be true, but. Uh, but, but oh, it is now defunct. It's There's not a podcast without him <laughs> plugging something in his history. Yeah, it's been replaced by a I, system called CAT. But yeah. here nor there. Oh, he's on the CAT committee too. <laughs> we 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 had to do this this suffering lord regulatory yeah. report. We would file this thing, and we would send a whole bunch of files to Finra at the end of every day. And because regulatory reports are very important, you never want to get that wrong. You want to stay in good regulatory compliance. We would have a check in place. So I would send them one day uh, at the end of the day. And then the next morning, we'd have market ops review the submissions and see what FINRA had received and tie it out and escalate if there were any differences. So we tried doing that and it wasn't quite working as well as we wanted to, uh, as far as like making sure they did the check. Who, so I, market ops or FINRA? Market ops. Yeah. So I started including funny facts about the numbers of files that we would oh. actually send. So it was like, today we sent 250 files. 250 is an insult in Mandarin. 
I remember these. Yeah. Oh, and, that's and, so funny. And, and, you know, just building those kinds of mechanisms. Yes. An insult in Mandarin. Yeah. Really? It is. What does it mean? Does it mean like, it I just mother? thought he was a strange guy and he was making shit up. But yeah, no, every it, day there was something. It means wow. like stupid or incompetent. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So like, uh, think of it as this, uh, as the metaphor of like, there's, there's a thousand things to know. There's a thousand coins you can put on a string. And that means you know everything, but you're not, uh, nobody knows everything. Mm-hmm. We, we practice medicine. We practice law. We don't, are not masters of these things. So if you're a regular guy doing a regular job, you have 500 of them. And that's the things that you need to know. So if you're stupid, you have 250. If, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know half of what you need to know to do your job, you're a 250. Uh-huh. Nice. Wow. See? Now I know how to uh, insult somebody. And ever since then, the market ops team reviewed the oats reports that John Ramsey invented. So, you know, it was a really... I wrote the rules. Yeah, it was a really good way to to get people excited about actually getting up in the morning and reviewing the oats reporting. And uh, reflecting on how it all comes together and what it means today, obviously we, we have more than, you know, over a hundred people now. We've passed Dunbar's number. I can't know everyone in the firm. I, I can't have uh, kind of meaningful relationships with everybody, and that's kind of it is a difference. Yep. And I always kind of thought about that in terms of of stack facts. Like, could I bring back these number facts into like a funny thing that I could put in the newsletter? And then I look back at my old stack facts, and they're like things about the Milgram experiment and like some really dark, dark stuff. You have to know you to understand them. (laughs) Yeah. And it's stuff that you couldn't do with an audience where you don't know everyone. You know, when I only was sending it to 12 What did you say? It's called Norman's Factor. What did you just say there? If you, if you don't know the audience, there's a name. uh, There's a, there's a thing called Dunbar's number. Norman is close. Okay. Dunbar's number. (laughs) So Dunbar's number is the theoretical cognitive number of stable, meaningful relationships that you can have in your life. It's like the headspace you have for relationships. Wow. And does this vary person to person or is there like a... It's often estimated between 100 and 150 people. Wow. And, so and I assume you, that means that you can mean sort of remote relationships. You're not going to have like, you know, intensive relationships with a hundred people at the same right. time. So um, going back to my stack facts. I analogy. guess he doesn't have a lot of friends. Let's, <laughs> let's continue on. That is not true. <laughs> you, you know, if think of it this way, like if, if I put something out about, you know, the uh, one of my ones was about the Shichi Go whatever festival in Japan that basically is a celebration of kids, you know, being dressed up in formal attire. And I would gladly put something in the facts today, but I looked at my old fact about that uh, 753 festival and it included like facts about infant mortality of the time, which is like stuff you just can't talk about with a large audience unless you really know everybody. And that's, Different people don't love the old infant mortality. No, no, it's a, it's not a great icebreaker for it really a conversation. Isn't. If you've and, like, met somebody like, before, I can't. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I can't do that anymore, and uh, I can't do it respectfully. But, but you do have. A, you, you obviously 
have a um, panoramic level of knowledge and are interested in a lot of different things. And one of the things that that I think is great is that I happen to know this, um, that we both, when there was the total eclipse some years back, um, like traveled to a different part of the country so we could be in the total eclipse zone, right? We, I think we, we went to, absolutely did. Yeah. Uh, you went to uh, you know, what? You went to Tennessee or Kentucky or something? Well, I I stayed in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is uh-huh. a wonderful place. Shout out to my Gatlinburg friends. Uh huh. Um, and is there a moniker for them? Gatlers you know, uh, somewhere close to Butcher Holler, I think. Probably. Uh, yeah. It's it's near uh, Pigeon Forge. Okay. What's the uh, infant mortality rate in Pigeon Forge? <laughs> <laughs> and if, well, he probably knows. Well, Gatlinburg <laughs> yeah, was yeah, not. Don't answer. <laughs> yeah, Gatlinburg was not in the totality zone. So I went to Cherokee, North Carolina, which was awesome. Like I, I it was complete serendipity, but they had like a, a drum ceremony, and they they told this wonderful story about you know, a frog eating the sun and they were banging on the drums to get the, the, the frog to, to cough up the sun. It was really cool. Were there drugs involved in that? <laughs> Sounds like a, like peyote maybe yeah. or something. Uh, not that I know of. No. Silas, <laughs> mushrooms. He's woke up and his shoes were missing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Different total eclipse. Um, yeah. Let's go back to QA for a second. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that was a great transition. So QA is a very important function, <laughs> but particularly uh, at a stock exchange, and it's it's a difficult one. It's like you need you need people on that wall. So we know you here as someone passionate about bringing young talent into QA engineering. Can you tell us about this, like unconventional hiring, like John Schwal basically fucking kidnapped you? Yeah, we don't do John, that anymore. You can't do that with the new yeah, generation. Yeah, Millennials don't like kidnap. It's hard. I think there's state and local laws that yeah, make like, it difficult I, now. Like. Since the beginning of time, I've been involved with the internship program here at IEX. Yep. And I I love it. Like, I love the fact that there are kids coming in that I can teach them about all sorts of crazy elements of market structure. Here's how the early exchange work really. Here's RegSci. Here's blah, blah. Um, and you wouldn't think that, you know, if, if you're passionate about these things and, and you're excited about it, uh, I think it's great, you know? Uh, so, like... Shout out to, to last year's intern class, if you're out there and you're listening. <laughs> if you're uh, boxers. <laughs> yeah, if you guys are boxers. Uh, Stack says hello. Stack mm-hmm. says hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring passion to market structure. No, like, and I would bring them by my desk and we would all watch, hey, there's a Fed announcement today. Look, here's market makers actually shedding away from the quote because things might get very volatile. and And, you know, Here's a Russell rebalance trade. You know, here's all the things that are happening after the close and all of the, you know, third market trades that take place afterward. Like all of these things are, you know, unless you've had that experience, it's, it's not something you're really going to ever have to think about. And, you know, I like teaching people about those things. It's pretty yeah, cool. Well, well, it's great to, it's great to be passionate about it. The thing that, that it occurs to me about the role that you perform, you always seem, um, so, um, level-headed and calm and copacetic, I guess you have to be. But, uh, you know, there's a lot that if you don't do what you do well, then there's a lot of stuff that can break. I mean, if I screw up in something and then I end up looking <laughs> dumb, I guess is the worst thing that can happen. And Ronan makes, you know, will crack a joke about me, but um, you could actually. So do you worry about that or what? what do you worry about most? 
I mean, are there things that actually gnaw at you or, or, um, or what are the kinds of things that can go wrong that in retrospect, you wish you'd done something different? I actually end up, if you end up in a QA role, you end up reading a lot about failure. So I will digest the, the, you know, whatever papers people write about the, the nightmare or, um, or, or the collapse of long-term capital or all of these types of things. And, you know, I often find that a lot of these things go down to human factors. So in as much as, yes, I want to make sure that the software performs correctly. I also want to make sure that the software is designed so that when you use it, it's hard to do things wrong. There's multiple layers to it. If you really want to do kind of a good job with it, you also have to reason about the human factors and those types of things. Right. That's an interesting point. So it's not just a question. It's too easy in a way to just blame the technology. If the technology is designed in such a way where it makes it easy for the humans that are on the other end of it to screw up. Easy to, to, to fail to maintain properly. Oh, difficult to represent when something's going wrong or recognize when something's going wrong. I mean, any of those things are, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, uh, as dangerous as something going wrong in the first place. Yeah. I think that's really a very profound insight. See? We've gathered here. This guy. Wow. We just grabbed yeah. him walking by the podcast room. <laughs> like, hey, you Tech, know. you're live. <laughs> welcome to Boxes and Lines. Welcome. Go. Welcome, boxers. All right. So there's there's something we you you do here, um, particularly with the business development sales team, uh, called Stack Stumps, which I think is excellent. Can you, can you tell us what it is? How did it start? So and why is it useful? But I think in answering what it is, we'll tell you why it's useful. I think it's fantastic. So um, for for so many years. Um, I'm, I use all of the different features and functions of the exchange, you know, as part of testing that I am going to send the weirdest min quant flippity flu upside down order that you possibly can and see how it interacts in the book with everything else. So understanding how various scenarios actually play out, some of them make for fun, like puzzles, games, you know, this person sends in this order. This person sends in this order. How do they interact with each other? And so I set up something with the business development as much as anything else to teach them the nuances of how the system works. And I do it as, as a, a game and every time, and there's a little theme to it. You know, I did an, an X-Files themed one. I did a Groundhog themes one, um, you know, and just kind of have fun with it, but also have an opportunity to teach them how the system works. No, they're, they're excellent. Like as we're rolling out new products or even existing products, uh, people get on a call and Stack, he does have these very themed decks and he'll come along and say, client A sends order like this. Client B also sends order like this into our book using this order type. What happens next? Who has priority? Uh, min quantity? What's degradated? And uh, we, we I, I don't go to them all, but because uh, I just know absolutely everything. Um, but we, <laughs> yeah, we take right. turns about saying what we think the outcome will be. And generally, especially the first few on each new product, are very, very surprising. And then he throws in a sort of an expected outcome. And then you're like, what's the catch here? 
But we do get, they do that get like our, our frontline BD team who are excellent, get some esoteric questions from and, clients and they're, they're, they're definitely prepped with the stack stumps. I started and, and, listening to this for a while, but then I stopped because it made me feel dumb. I was, you know, so I just, I don't like to. I, I've actually You're been very surprised. special like, to me, thank John. <laughs> thank you. After, after giving the first few of them, um, you know, the things that people pick up on and, and understand so that even the things that I think I'm going to stump people with these days, they come back and they go, come on, stack. This is going to you to have priority over that one because blah, blah, blah. And I go, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so you're making people better. I, you're making yeah. them less stumpable. Well, at least I know is working. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, if you think about it, all of our job here as part of an exchange is trying to solve novel problems. So you're just trying to sharpen people's skills in solving solving unique kinds of problems. Yeah, and a lot of these things are things that they get asked about. Um, and having them armed to be able to answer questions about new order types, new functionality, anything else like that, I think it's 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 useful. Okay. Next pivot to a topic is <laughs> gardening in Connecticut. <laughs> gardening in Connecticut. Gardening in Connecticut. Very natural transition. Stack has an Instagram account, and he's a proud Connecticut resident. Well, what impresses me is that you do, you like Ronan and me, you do come into the office on a regular basis. You're, you're here a lot, but you're coming from Connecticut. I come from the West Village. So it's not much of a, not much of a struggle. Let's say you got a long commute. Thanks so much for the effort, John. Yeah. So, (laughs) but Stack, I appreciate you. (laughs) Yeah. I, I come in from Connecticut. I grow a garden. Um, it's something that, that, um, you know, my mother is a master gardener. Her father grew a garden before that, and my grandparents had an entire yard, which was a garden. You say garden, is this like vegetables, is this plants, flowers, uh, the works, I'm a vegetable. Everything? I'm a vegetable person. Yep. Um, you, you probably noticed I probably brought in a few cucumbers and tomatoes over the years. And carrots. Mm-hmm. Great carrots. Oh, those carrots were good this yep. year. Yeah, very uh, and good. We had, we had a really good carrot crop, which is funny because I have an awful lot of rabbits. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do, know, you, do you do like uh, how, how do you control the rabbits? I assume you don't like uh, put like poison out or these are wild know, like, rabbits, right? What, yeah, wild, wild rabbits? rabbits. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't keep them myself. Yeah. Um. My my wife jokes that I, I grow rabbits. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's like that's what the, by proxy of what you grow. Yeah. You, you well, grow, it yields rabbits. They, they tend to propagate rather rapidly. Yeah. They, the they nature do does say that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um. So like. It, you know, there's, it's a little bit funny. I, I put a fence around the garden, but it's to keep the deer out. I don't really, their rabbits are cute. Like, let's <laughs> yeah. face it. I, I, and they make comfy mittens. No, no Stack I does not hurt no, them. I know. Jeez, he Stack just hurt gave them. a violent stare at you right there. He takes photos and po- I mean, <laughs> posts them on Instagram. Yeah. So no, I, I have a, a, an Instagram. It's uh, Stack's Rabbits. And the caption is Stack's Rabbits format. Pictures of bunny rabbits caption in haiku. So they all are haiku poetry with pictures of bunny rabbits. No, you got to be doing some drugs to <laughs> yeah. really appreciate yeah. that. But I, I, I just blacked out as he said it. <laughs> no, but I love that you do that because it's, it's, I assume that it's kind of a, it's really a good antidote for you. What you're doing through the course of the day is so abstract at some level. And, you know, actually like working with your hands in the dirt is so completely 
not yeah, that. I, I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's really nice to have the, the, the different sides of things. So it truly yeah. is. Let's, let's ask him the question of questions. The question of questions. Would you like to ask the question of questions? Would you like me to? I'd love you to, John Rams. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. I, I won't. I assume Stack's probably listened to one of these podcasts or another at some point. So he's probably have you ever made it through it. one. Yeah. Uh, favorite Wall Street movie. What is it and why? Well, well asked, by the way. Thank you. What is it and why? Yes. I have to say The Hummingbird Project. Oh, wow. That's a good one. <laughs> Nobody's ever is that mentioned the one with the Kansas Exchange? Is that that the, one? The Kansas yeah, Electronic Exchange. Yeah, I remember Exchange. that one. Yeah, I remember um, that one. And wow. why, why do I say that? Is, yeah. it, is it really a phenomenal movie? It has some plot holes. Like, I, I, I can't say, like, it's an amazing thing. And... This is something I should know about. I go and see all of the Best Picture nominees every year. So I know a good movie when I see it, and this was probably not it. But the fact that there's this movie about, you know, high-frequency traders and, and, you know, carving through rock to bring uh, fiber optic lines that are lower latency – the very fact that Salma Hayek and and Alexander Skarsgård and and Jesse Eisenberg might actually give a shit what I do for a living <laughs> it just it puts a warm spot across my heart. You know, you know you're the only person to pick that movie, but you it, are. Mm-hmm. it is pretty close to home. I can't believe it's I'm so mad at you, John. Oh, it's 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 very close to home, you know, like why me? When the the hero is as is, is is back to the wall, he he threatens the high frequency trader with an intentional delay of twenty milliseconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, "I can turn that up to 80. and they're like, "No!" <laughs> like that, it's it's farcical, especially if you know, like, if you're in our shoes, you understand that he could have easily just as easily just turned off their connection. And that would have been way worse than 80. Yeah, way worse than 80. So, like, I, you know, aside from that little plot hole, like, it's funny. (laughs) We're going to hurt you with an intentional delay. (laughs) Nice. Um, So, you know, and and the way I I kind of reconcile this with myself is... (laughs) Reconcile your movie selection? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, My father worked on submarines for years and years and years. Um, He was an engineer who, who... who build systems for submarines. And if there was a movie that came out that had a submarine in it, we would go watch it. You know, if it was Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington or Hunt for Red October with Sir Sean Connery, some of the things in here do not react very well to Bullitch. Um, (laughs) Then then we would go, we would go watch it. Like that was like us at RBC when wall street two came out and then the movie was total shite that I didn't, but I thought the person was kind of shite. Wall too. Street yeah. Two has an excellent cameo from former IEX. Oh yeah, because he Sala. worked at RBC at the time. Because they they came on our floor on a Sunday, and a lot of people came in to sit there all day for like one brief second of them walking by on the floor. Oh, who was that? A lot of employees went in. I did not go in, but, but one but, of our employees, Billy Zhao, he's a Chinese guy, and they had a Chinese contingent in the movie and. They literally came out and saw a Chinese guy and picked Billy. And if wow. you see the movie, he's sitting in the conference room. He's not in the credits. Yeah, yeah and he's not in the credits. But I think he I, actually got a 
Screen Screen Actors Guild card or something for this. Uh, That's what he said. Wow, he's done things since then. I think he's made like six cents or something. I'm envious. Yeah, yeah, but like he was in there and they he was looking at a piece of paper, nodding his head, uh, looking very studious. Mm. So yeah, our friend Billy Zhao, yeah, an early employee of IEX as well, yeah, was in that movie. Yeah, other than you, Billy, it was shy. Uh huh. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like, uh, and I knew Billy from even before I joined IEX. So. We, we go way back. So just to see Billy in that. So I would have chosen that were it were not for the Hummingbird Project. And if I had to pick winner. an actual like movie that I liked for its merits, I'd probably pick Boiler Room. Oh, uh, that's John's yeah. one. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Where the, the FTC SCC, are the heroes. Yeah, yeah. They come, come in with guns. jackets and guns. Yeah. Like well, they I mean, do that. Giovanni Rubisi. Like Giovanni Rubisi was great. Vin Diesel and... Okay, it was fantastic. What do we got for our guest? Well, tell we me something. That, is, it, is it still another fucking pair of socks? We got something else? I don't know why you're cursing. We're on Sorry. A oh, I p- forget. We'll, we'll edit that out. We'll edit that My out. My apologies. We'll, we'll give you some IEX swag because as I look across from me, Stack is sitting in the first version of an IEX vest that yeah. we ever put out. Wow. And we're going to hook you up. For the first time ever, we're giving a guest the new Orvis sustainably sourced black IEX vest. Oh my god! Oh, Wait. very. The crowd's going wild. <laughs> Stack is dancing. That's great. Fantastic. Where that vest would buy it? Picture me dancing. <laughs> well, you've been a great, great guest, and we'll leave it there, and we'll say over and out. What I, do you have to say, John? Thank you so much. Thank you, Stuck. Over and out. Till next time. Thank you, Boxers. (laughs) See you, Boxers. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace. With support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. 